Hello, listeners, and welcome back to this exceptionally special episode of the Melodist Film Score podcast. The more observant among you will have noticed there was a gap of several weeks between shows, and as many of you know, that's because it's been a very busy time for the Melodist. Twelve episodes ago, it began as a very small, very personal exploration into one of my biggest passions, which is, of course, film music. More and more of you began to listen in each week, which was fantastic. It was incredible, and I couldn't have asked for anything more. And as I mentioned, a growing audience means having to look a little bit closer into things like licenses and permission. It's all covered by the relevant licenses, but this is all copyrighted commercial music after all. And when you're playing with stuff like that, you've got to be extra careful. So I went away, I spoke to some very smart people, some very smart, helpful and lovely people who could help me realise the realistic potential of a weekly podcast exploring the rich and wonderful world of film music featuring the greatest musical gems in cinematic history within a fully legal, fully authorised and fully legitimate legitimate podcast environment. Yeah, we need to talk about that. You see, the news isn't good, folks, and for once, it isn't even about the money. See, you can have all the PRS licenses you want, but without the official blessing and bespoke permission from the parties who own them, these tracks can't be played out to an audience of listeners all over the world. And sometimes that is a little bit about the money. Plus, it doesn't help that most of them never respond, even if it's with a no. And you can imagine how difficult that can be in attempting to put out a weekly show. But the bottom line is, it's an incredible time for podcasting, ladies and gentlemen, but as far as promoting great music to mass audiences goes, the medium still has a long way to travel in terms of laws and regulations. And as much as it pains me to say it, at this point in time, there's no bulletproof way of fully licensing and authorising a show like The Melodist. And it doesn't mean it's all over. I'm still here. And if there's one thing I do intend to do, it's keep The Melodist going in whatever medium it still can survive in, whether that's somehow in video form or maybe it's on the radio. But the only thing that sadly is certain is that we can no longer continue as a podcast. I can't do it. I won't do it because legally it's just too damn dangerous. Well, one more is not going to hurt, is it? So boys and girls, I am Perry J. O'Halloran and I will be your host on this final foray into the awesome and incredible universe of cinematic musical masterpieces where I will be unveiling to you some very small tidbits and tasters of the shows that never made it to your ears. I always said I had a hell of a lot planned for the show, so today you'll get to hear a bunch of it. Horror, Pixar, world cinema, there's all sorts of stuff to be excited about. But keep your garlic and cricket bats handy because we're bound to come up against a few lawyers along the way. If you can hold them back, I'm going to keep going. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Melodist.
First up, from the planned animated episode that was The Egg Travels from the computer animated Disney adventure Dinosaur by James Newton Howard. Yet another film that does not look almost 20 years old when you watch it today. Unbelievable. We'll certainly be hearing a bit more from Mr. Howard later on in the show too. So that was closely followed by Escape the Dragon from DreamWorks Shrek, released the following year, scored by Harry Gregson-Williams and John Powell, who've both gone on to do impressive work in the world of film scores. And when you talk about the industry as a whole, it's never too long before someone else's name inevitably pops up. Oh, here he is. It's the composer with his thumbs in too many pies. It's Hans Zimmer with his score for the DreamWorks 2002 animated drama, Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. Spirit, 
Stallion of the Cimarron, a soundtrack which actually achieved a great deal of success thanks to a mixture of well-received songs and musical scores together. Country music star Garth Brooks was the initial choice to work alongside Zimmer in producing the film's original songs, but after the deal fell through, trusty Canadian rock hero Brian Adams stepped in, and with the additional help of legendary producer Mutt Lang, they all worked together with Zimmer to create an album that still stands as a strong companion to a fairly decent film. But now that we've heard a little bit of what could have been in the animated episode, it would only be natural to follow up a show like that with a dedicated episode for Pixar. And for a studio that's become so well known for giving the world fun, frank and genuinely heartwarming films, it can't be denied that the beautifully crafted animation is second only to the exceptional scores within them. One person in particular has had the great honour of composing original music for a selection of their classics, doing such a good job that Disney themselves made him an official Disney legend in 2007. Randy Newman is the mastermind behind the music for Cars, Monsters Inc, Monsters University and the Toy Story trilogy, and a film that's still one of my personal favourites, the very first film I owned on DVD, Disney Pixar's underrated early classic, A Bug's Life.
sticking with the animated theme for just another minute, this is probably a good opportunity to tell you about the Round the World theme that I didn't even have a chance to get started on. See, I thought it'd be cool if we were to explore all the many, many territories for film music all across the world. So I'm talking Bollywood, Nollywood, Asian cinema, Australian cinema. Not all the best film scores necessarily come out of Hollywood. In fact, half the time, not even the best films come out of Hollywood. But just to give you a little taste of what the Celtic episode might have sounded like, this is musical genius Patrick Doyle with his score for Disney Pixar's Brave from 2012.
Christopher Young's enchanting score for Kevin Spacey's 2001 drama, The Shipping News, which despite actually taking place west of the Celtic lands in Newfoundland, has some undeniably strong Gaelic influences. And I've been so keen for the melodist to explore different cultures throughout the world because although a film score really can take on a life of its own, and in some cases even surpass the expectations of the film itself, the sound of a film score is often determined by the film that it's in. But it doesn't always come down to the location of the story. Braveheart, The Godfather and The Matrix are all great examples of the music reflecting the environment where the story takes place. But sometimes a score can take on more than just its surroundings. Sometimes it can reflect the people and even the objects that we're seeing on screen. In 2011, Cameron Diaz starred in quintessential American comedy Bad Teacher, in which, in every sense of the phrase, Diaz played the title role. But for what could have easily been a typical soundtrack packed with generic pop rock or unmemorable synth strings, composer Michael Andrews decided to draw inspiration from the unique, cynical and wildly unpredictable lead character herself, making for a very original score you'd be more likely to hear in a club than in a film.
Dario Marianelli's piece entitled Bryony from the 2001 film Atonement, based on the novel of the same name. A story of the sprawling consequences that unravel when an inappropriate letter from a typewriter lands directly into the hands of the wrong person. We've all been there. But in this case, it's not just the dramatic events that begin to haunt the characters for years to come. It's the time, the place, and even the dreaded typewriter the damning letter was written on, which Marianelli used in this piece to outstanding effect. And just like sounds can pop up in unusual places in music, music can also appear in unusual places in film. It's easy to see from recent documentaries such as Man on Wire, The Jinx, or The Imposter, that documentary films have certainly developed new trends and styles of their own these last few years. But documentaries weren't always so full of beautifully animated graphics and infograms or cinematic motion picture style reenactments. Just like all movies, music has always had an important place in documentaries. Just ask any diehard fan of Bruce Brown's 1966 surf epic, The Endless Summer, with music from California rock band The Sandals that's guaranteed to have you longing for a quiet beach and some sunset waves whether you're familiar with the film or not.
great piece titled Chasing Sheep is Best Left to Shepherds by Michael Nyman, who decided to put it to use in 2008 when he was scoring the cherished biographical documentary Man on Wire, telling the true story of Philippe Petit, the man who successfully tightrope walked between the World Trade Center's towers in 1974. That story has since been made into a feature-length film starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt titled The Walk, but that's not actually the first time that this piece has been used in a film, since it was originally composed by Nyman himself for the 1982 Peter Greenaway film The Draftsman's Contract, and it was additionally featured in the opening titles of A Cock and Ball Story, starring Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. It's quite a popular piece. Right, that's enough education for now because there's something I've been waiting to do for a long time and I would now like to take the opportunity to play you some music from one of my favourite film composers and one of the most underrated composers in film for that matter, rock legend and modern day film composer Mr Trevor Rabin. And although the films he's assigned to are never all that great, it's his awesome mix of melody, guitars and pounding percussion that bring out the best in any movie he is featured. This is American Outlaws.
The Guardian by Trevor Rabin. That man is full of great music. Great gym music, in fact. Give him a try. You'll be built like a Spartan warrior in no time. And now let's move on to another area that I've been really looking forward to getting into for a long, long time. Horror. You don't need to be a connoisseur of fine film scores to know that horror movies have some of the best and certainly the most memorable music in cinema. Now, as you know, many of the upcoming episodes on The Melodist were often premeditated, and I can't even begin to tell you the length of the track list for horror. You can definitely guess a majority of them, but this time round, while we're only dipping our toe in the waters of What If, I choose to play you this piece from Christopher Young, created especially for the most unexpected hit of 2009. Drag me to hell.
if Drag Me To Hell went full on horror, then Jerry Goldsmith definitely decided to go a bit more subtle for Steven Spielberg's Poltergeist in 1982. Still, it's creepy nonetheless, and it didn't go unnoticed by the Academy, who were enthusiastic about nominating Goldsmith's piece for Best Original Score at that year's Oscar Awards, which it sadly did not win. And that's no surprise when it was up against John Williams' score for E.T., of all things. But although it's traditional for horror films to be scored with brash, exciting and nerve-wracking music, they can sometimes have a tendency to go a bit over the top and rife with self-parody, which is oddly something you won't find with something like a thriller. With all the fear and tension you'd normally find in a horror movie, dramatic thrillers are obliged to take themselves a little bit more seriously on account of their potentially real-world setting. This makes for another theme that took my interest, the dark and ominous side of film scores. Sometimes dangerous and shadowy, but other times like a creepy fairy tale, a darker film score can do just as much to put the frighteners up you as it can to make you feel restlessly uneasy and enveloped in the mystery on screen. Director M. Night Shyamalan made a name for himself after writing and directing The Sixth Sense in 1999, with one of the most surprising and unexpected twists in cinema by that point. But as the years went by, Shyamalan's films became more mysterious and dreamlike, which was more prominent than ever in his 2006 fantasy thriller, Lady in the Water. Winning several awards from the International Film Music Critics Association, James Newton Howard was no stranger to accolades. After all, it was only two years previously that his talent for dark and ominous themes won him an Academy Award for Best Original Score for the significantly darker soundtrack of The Village.
Pilot was another haunting classic from James Newton Howard for Peter Jackson's King Kong in 2005. And before we exit the realm of the dark and the ominous, I'd like to play a piece that's as equally sinister as it is alluring, a lot like the film itself. Based on the book of the same name, Perfume tells the story of an intriguing young man in 18th century France who commits to killing in his quest for the perfect scent. Performed by the Berlin Philharmonic, the score was composed by Johnny Klemek, Reinhold Howe, and the film's director, Tom Tyqua. Anxious to hear some great compositions from cinema's most classic crime thrillers, I was prepared to dedicate an entire episode to bad boys. Your De Niro's, your Pacino's, your Walken's and your Martin Lawrence's. But since one listener of the show in particular has an outspoken affection for the music of Michael Mann's Heat, I think this is as good a place as any to hear how that music goes. 
when Hans Zimmer wasn't hanging out with Canadian rockers and scoring Disney movies, he was teaming up with Peter Haycock of the Climax Blues Band to create the sound for two of the baddest girls to ever hit the silver screen. This is Thunderbird from Thelma and Louise.
you know, I thought having already done such an outstanding job with Celtic music, I decided I'd also have a go at finding some more special selections from world film. And naturally, British cinema was one that I was keen to delve into. When This Is England was released in 2006, depicting the controversial rise in white nationalism of the 80s, no viewer suspected that the legacy to follow would surpass the greatness of the film for more years to come. Writer and director Shane Meadows followed up the film with a trilogy of TV miniseries, further exploring the stories and lives of the film's characters throughout the rest of the 80s. Handling tough, realistic subject matter and not for the faint of heart, This Is England 86, 88 and 90 was riddled with dark and tragic storylines. But it's the organic and human moments in between, coupled with the vastly contrasting and beautiful music, that make it such an engrossing cinematic experience for the small screen. This is Einaudi.
From the mean streets of the Midlands to the meaner streets of New York, where a gang is literally fighting for its life to return safely to its turf on Coney Island and escape being framed for the murder of a respected gang leader. This is Barry Devorzon's theme for the Warriors.
remake of the 1997 Spanish film Open Your Eyes, Cameron Crowe's Vanilla Sky starring Tom Cruise was relocated to New York to tell the story of millionaire playboy David Ames and his downward spiral into a nightmarish reality where nothing is entirely what it seems. The score came from Nancy Wilson, the wife of Cameron Crowe at the time and lifelong member of 80s rock group Heart. But as fitting and loyal as these pieces were to their Big Apple counterparts, it has to be Woody Allen who hit the nail on the head in 1979 when he decided to conjure up the New York that he knew and loved with the classical jazz it had become so strongly associated with. And a soundtrack consisting entirely of George Gershwin, this is Manhattan. has come an impressively long way in establishing its own identity on film, which is a huge feat considering entire nation members of European cinema had been establishing their identities for decades before. In 1963, Jean-Luc Godard set out to create his vision of the Italian novel A Ghost at Noon, with Jack Palance and Brigitte Bardot in the lead roles. The result was Le Mépris, and it contained one of the most rousingly powerful scores of its time from the mind of Georges Delarue.
couple of years ago, after trekking all over London to find it, I saw a film that completely changed the way I see characters and storytelling on film. Frequently hailed as the new Fellini, Paolo Sorrentino has a tendency to confront the dark, depressing issues of death and mortality with so much elegance and humour, it's hard not to connect with the odd but personable characters in his films. The Great Beauty is a masterpiece, and if you've never watched a film that you just couldn't take your eyes off for the whole time that you were watching it, maybe try this one. You might even find it difficult to tear your eyes away from the end credits, while this beautiful piece from the Kronos Quartet plays throughout.
Well, it's been a fun ride, folks, but we're truly at the end now. So that's no more Horner Prize, no more childish innuendos, in your endos. But what I want to say is a huge, colossal thank you to every last one of you for not only listening to The Melodist and enjoying it for what it is, but for actively getting involved and talking directly to me about how much it's meant to you and the people that you listen to it with. I'm genuinely sorry that I can't take it any further than this, but like I say, maybe it's the end of the podcast but it's definitely not the end of The Melodist. So if you feel at all compelled to message me on Facebook, tweet me on Twitter, or email me on perry at themelodistshow.com, please don't send me your tears. Send me your ideas. So how would you like to see The Melodist carry on? Maybe you'd like to see it on YouTube, maybe on the radio. What about a live show at the Royal Albert Hall? Now that'd be fun. Give me your thoughts and I'll see how we can keep this thing going together. There's just still so much for us left to get through. So until we're together again, I want to play you just one last thing. Every one of you has been incredible, but there's one person in particular who's kept this going for much longer than even I'd planned to. There's no way I'd have the love I have for films if it wasn't for my dad. And from the moment I started up The Melodist, he's supported every second of it. And I'm never going to forget that. Which is why we'll be ending with the one piece of music I know that he's loved for as long as I can remember to Ennio Morricone's theme from Once Upon a Time in America. Goodbye, good luck, and see you around from the Melodist Film Score Podcast. Thank mm-hmm. you.